Amen. Let's stand together and give him some praise this morning. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. church and all that God has in store for us, and it just so worked out that we were also able to have Dr. Rick Brewer, the new president of Louisiana College, with us today to just share a little bit about new things that God is doing. Dr. Brewer, we're glad you're here. If you would come and share your heart about Louisiana College, let's welcome Dr. Brewer here. Well, uh, God bless you. Thank you. It's good to be with you. I hope after we've been here a few years, you still applaud when we come to share with you. But uh, God has been good, and we're grateful in, in obeying His call on our life. Everywhere we go, we meet people that they just give me their number, 81, 92. And that's not their age. That's the year they graduated from Louisiana College. And uh, we're, it's such a blessing. You, you 
The school has made such an impact in this community for years. She is a good college, and with God's help, with your help, with the help of alums, the help of donors, the help of the Louisiana Baptist Convention, the help of those sending students our way, we're going to together make her a great college for the kingdom. You need a school like Louisiana College, a place where students can get not only a wonderful education that can take them anywhere in the world, but that equal balance of scholarship and devotion where we connect not just the what, but the why, where students' minds are engaged, but their hearts are inspired to see that God can take them wherever, whatever cultural venue And to be one who can redeem, one to be a part of the redemption process, one of the restoration process. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that needs the Christian voice in every dimension. Would you not agree? And so that's what we strive to do at Louisiana College. A great commission school, a great commandment school. And I just fundamentally believe that learning that's shaped and formed by faith can produce a living that's shaped informed by faith. So would you pray for us? Will you continue to do that as we come, as we come to steward the institution forward? Would you do that? And let me just say thank you for the way you have supported Louisiana College through the years with your prayers, with students, with your support financially, and certainly your support through the cooperative program. Uh, You're one of the strongest percentage-giving churches in the state. And let me just encourage you to continue doing that and understanding that Louisiana College is a mission outpost. It's a part of the missional effort of Louisiana Baptist. Because students' lives are being changed there daily. We prepare graduates, but we also see life transformation. Because at the end of the day, a great college education is more than just getting a degree. Now, moms and dads that have had sons and daughters go off to college, you want them to get a college degree. Am I right? You know, that my, my oldest son, he, he crammed his four-year education into five and a half years. <laughs> Changed his major eight times. He's a musician. He's doing fine. He's a songwriter in Nashville. He's doing what, you know, God's given him a gift to do, and he's pursuing that passion. My youngest son... He crammed an MBA with a 4.0 in finance in five years. Uh, But it just depends, you know, on the student. But it's more than getting a degree. A college education is more than just getting a job. Although moms and dads, when our sons and daughters go off to college, we don't want them coming back home, move in with us necessarily, do we? But a Christian college education is more than a degree, more than a job. It's really more than a preparation for a career. I believe it's preparation for life. To help young people learn to think critically, to help them think Christianly, that's what it's about. And being a part of God's kingdom, God's work, wherever he places, wherever he leads us. So we, 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 we covet your prayer support. And thank you for giving us a few minutes today during a very big, important day. So thankful to your pastor, uh, for he and his wife, both are grads of the school, and, and how they've helped the school. Minister of Music is a graduate of the school and how they teach and help us at the college. We so appreciate them and what they're doing. God bless you this day. Thank you. Let's stand together as we continue to worship. Count your blessings. When upon life's pillows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has
10,000 reasons. Think about all the things he's done for you. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. 
blessings on everything that's done today, Lord, with preaching of your word and with the songs that are sung and the prayers that are given. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. As we look back on the history of our church, Lord, the people have been faithful. They have given sacrificially and they've given with generosity. And Lord, we pray that as we go into our stewardship campaign, that we as individuals and the church as a whole will be faithful, will give sacrificially, and with a a large amount of generosity. Lord, for the offering we're about to take up, the tithes and offerings, would you bless it and use it in accordance to your will? Lord, we ask that you forgive our sins, keep us in the center of your will, We'll ask this in your name. Amen.
This could be our finest hour. As we move into the future, we have some great plans for what God's going to do in our church, what we believe God is leading us to do in our church. Now, I, I love looking at plans, especially building plans, whether it's a house or a church. I'll spend time looking at house plans online all the time for houses that are 50 times bigger than I could ever build down to little bitty houses. It's just fun to look at plans. And when Doug Ash brought by the first set of plans for our first phase, and it was just the first project, I poured over them, looking at every detail, reading through, because I just love looking at those plans because they help me see what will be. They help me see how we're going to get to what will be. My love for plans began when I was a kid. I was in fifth grade or so when mom and dad started planning to build the house mom now lives in today. And uh, dad involved us in the house selection process and we picked a plan. Dad ordered plans. Then he spent a month or two at the kitchen table every night drawing on these plans and adjusting them to fit what would be how we would live in this house. And we were so excited. And then dad rolled them up and put them by his recliner in the then and they sat there and sat there and sat there for five or six years while dad procrastinated the plan sat by the recliner but I would get home from school many a day and I'd sit in the recliner and I'd pick up those plans and I'd open them up and I would look through and I would envision living life in that new house, first as a sixth grader, then maybe as a seventh grader, then as a ninth grader, a tenth grader, eleventh grader, and twelfth grader, and finally as a freshman in college, it happened. But I didn't realize what I was doing as I looked at those plans, as I was imagining living there, as I was walking through the rooms in my mind's eye, is I was coming to understand the concept of vision. Vision is seeing today what will be tomorrow. You see it so clearly that you can describe it. You see it so clearly that you can know what it will be like. You see it so clearly that you can close your eyes and live it. The job of a leader is to grasp the vision, to communicate that vision to the people, and then to lead the people to pursue that vision. See, vision helps us to see what is not yet. And someone has said, if you can't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. Makes sense, doesn't it? Pretty simple, pretty clear. As I survey God's Word, I find that vision is what drove God's people to every accomplishment they made. God gave a vision... And he called a leader, and they pursued that vision. As God led his people onward, you see that process happening over and over and over again. Now, you all know it's uncharacteristic of me to not settle on one particular text in a message. But for this first message in this vision series, I felt led to just kind of overview vision in the Bible. I want you to think about some points of vision in the Scripture this morning. I suppose the earliest vision came in Genesis 3.15, right in the midst of the cursing of the serpent, Satan, when God said, you know what? There's going to be someone who comes. You're going to crush, strike his heel, and he is going to crush your head. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus to come. When God called Noah, he gave him a vision saying, I'm going to destroy all people, so make yourself an ark. And that was the vision. God told him exactly how to build it, what to do, who to put on it, and what to put on it. And Noah built that ark in spite of fierce opposition and saved his family and the animals that he was prescribed to carry. After the days of Noah, you know, sin increased more and more again in the world, so much so that people wanted to make a name for themselves and not scatter over the earth as God had commanded them. And so they chose to build themselves a city with a tower within it that reached up to the heavens. And God said, this cannot be. So God came down, confused their languages, forcing them to scatter over the world as he had commanded them to do. And then God cast a vision. He went to a man named Abram and said, leave everything you have. Leave your household, the land you know, 
and go to the land, I will show you. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. And all peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. And so, Abram accepted the vision. He got up and he went. And Abram's name was later changed to Abraham. And he had faith and was obedient. And we know it was credited to him as righteousness. And God did grow Abraham into a great nation as that vision was fulfilled. And generations later, Abraham's descendants found themselves as slaves in Egypt. And from a burning bush, God called another leader, Moses, and gave him a vision by saying, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt and to the promised land that I have promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, And Jacob and that vision eventually empowered and led Moses to be a tremendous leader of his people, leading the people out of Egypt, teaching them how to be God's people through the law and through how to worship him through Leviticus and then guiding them to the edge of the promised land. In Moses's day, God gave the nation a big vision of who they were to be. Not just what they were to do. He said they were going to be a treasured possession. They were going to be a kingdom of priests. And they were going to be a holy nation. That's who they were to become as God's treasured people. They were to be a people who would represent God and mediate between God and the rest of the world. And they were to be a nation that was set apart with a specific purpose. Those three statements captured the vision of who Israel was become And they were to be shaped in that direction. God gave Moses the vision to build the tabernacle, a place in the center of the camp where the people would come and they would worship God. He told them how to do it, where to put it, how to how to get the materials for it. And they did and they built it and people began to worship there. When it came time to enter the promised land, God gave the vision to the next leader, Joshua, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, then you and all the Israelites Let's go. I'm going to give you every place where you step your foot. I'm going to give you this land as I promised to your forefathers. And that vision guided Joshua as he led the Israelites to conquer the promised land throughout the rest of his life. And an amazing thing took place. We're reminded at the end of the book of Joshua of this, these statements. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua And of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. A faithful generation followed. Following the time of Joshua, though, was the time of Judges. Not a real banner time for Israel. But whenever oppression came upon the people because of their disobedience, God would raise up a judge who would be a leader, who would overthrow the oppressors, who would lead the people to a time of peace. And God would give that judge a vision, much as he did to the judge Gideon, when God said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Here's the vision. You go do it. I'm with you. God later led Samuel in helping the people to anoint a king. And as the nation became centralized, God gave Solomon the vision and opportunity, as his dad had had the vision but not the opportunity, to build the temple for worship according to plans similar to that of the tabernacle. The, Solomon was built, the, the temple was built, an impressive structure. And then after Solomon, as many of the kings and the nations turned their hearts from God, God raised up the prophets who had visions of what was to come, whether that was punishment or whether that was exile or whether that was a return with victory. And some, especially Isaiah, had a vision of a coming king, a Messiah who would come and redeem his people who would save them from their sins and who would establish an everlasting kingdom. And as that vision was cast, people started to pray in that vein. After the time of the exile, God gave vision to men like Ezra and Nehemiah to come in and rebuild the city. Some were led to build the temple. Others were led to build the city and the walls. But they came, led the people to be a part, to everybody to buy in and have a part in seeing the city 
rebuilt. In God's time, the long-awaited Messiah came. He lived. He died. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. But before he ascended to heaven, Jesus gathered his followers and he said, I'm casting a vision for you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It was a vision cast. And it was a vision that those disciples soon began to fulfill. And within, within months, the gospel was spreading throughout that known world. And soon, as an enemy of Christians named Saul had an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus and was converted to faith in Christ, he then received a vision of what he was to do as an apostle. When Jesus told him, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness into light and from the power of Satan to God so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And Paul fulfilled that vision by the end of his life. The gospel was reaching far and wide. Now, obviously, this is a very brief overview of only some of the vision that was cast in Scripture. There's a whole lot more, and we just glanced the top. But you can see that no matter if it was God's grand vision for world redemption, or if it were the, was the smaller visionary steps to lead to that grand plan, God had a vision. God cast that vision to his servants and his people, and they worked to fulfill that vision. When they followed that vision, they saw success and advancement. It wasn't always easy. Trials came. Difficulties came. There were, there were problems, but they were able to move forward. But they were victorious because they followed God's plan. But whenever they strayed from God's vision, they faced hardship. And calamity, even destruction. You see, vision is vital. It can break or make you. It's vital for several reasons. One is it defines our purpose. And it does so by getting us on God's purpose. When you're casting a vision and you catch God's vision, you're not catching your vision or somebody else's vision. You're catching God's vision and you get on purpose with God, a church flounders and fails if it is not following God's purpose for it. The second thing that that vision shows us is that it clarifies our direction. It sets a course for us to go. A movement can only go in one direction. And so vision sets the course for where that direction is going to be. But vision also does something else. It holds us accountable. It holds us accountable by giving us something by which we can check everything else. Does this fit into the vision? If not, even if it's a great idea, then it's set aside, at least for now. But if this is the direction we're going, this is what God's called us to do, and this doesn't fit, then we set it to the side. I love this fourth reason that vision is vital, and that is it helps our dreams become bigger than our memories. That's very important for a church that's over 100 years old. It's very important for an institution. Our dreams need to be bigger than our memories. Think about it. When we look toward the promised land, we don't want to be thinking about Egypt, right? When we're looking toward the temple, we don't want to pull out the old rotten down, falling apart tabernacle. We want to be having better dreams than our memories are. Our finest hour can be ahead. The best days are ahead. Vision is vital because without vision, we don't have our purpose. We don't stay the course. We don't stay accountable. We don't have a vibrant future. But with vision, then we have that purpose. We have that course. We stay accountable. And we have a vibrant future. In 1833, I understand there was an employee at the patent office in Washington, D.C. that wrote the following letter. Dear sirs, because everything that can be invented has already been invented, it is inevitable that this office should go out of business. Inasmuch as I shall soon lose my position, I hereby resign to look for work elsewhere. Now, up to 1833, less than 500 patents have been applied for. 
But by the time of World War I, by the time World War I was over, more than 60,000 patents had been issued. And you can guess that today the number runs into the millions. Now, we could think and say, how could somebody possibly in 1833 think that everything that could be invented had been invented? Well, the answer is they lacked vision. Someone could still say that today with millions of patents out there, and yet they would still be wrong. If you don't have vision, then you think it's all in the past. So that employee missed out on seeing some of the most amazing inventions ever made by resigning back in 1833. You know, there is a frightening connection between what we believe and what we become. It's a frightening connection between what we believe and what we become. That's true for our individual lives. That's true for our church's life. Have you ever wondered why some churches are able to grow and others do not? Even within the same city, even within the same community, all things basically being the same demographic-wise, why do some churches grow and others do not? It's largely because some churches have vision and others do not. John Stott has said this, Vision begins with a holy discontent with the way things are. A holy discontent with the way things are. We look around us and say, there's got to be more we can do. As a church, we look around and we say, you know what? There are far less church people than there are unchurched people. There are still thousands of lost people that need to be reached and I have a blank seat beside me, and so there's still room to reach somebody. And even if this room's filled up, we'll just start another service because there's still going to be people to reach. Nearly every church has the potential to grow. But not every church has vision. It's a vision to see the lostness around us. It's a vision to see unmet needs around us. It's a a vision to see the potential for what our church could do to meet those needs and to reach the lost around us. It's a vision to see the kind of people that could be shaped by the church as they step out and they go out to impact the state and the nation and the world for Jesus Christ. It's a vision to see the ministries that will assist In fulfilling that ministry vision and the facilities and programs that will come in and be used to help pull that off. When that vision is captured, it creates an attitude in the church of enthusiasm and of belief and of faith and of energy and of desire and a a can-do spirit that has a very excited mentality. And when you get in that sweet spot of visionary attitude... The church is a fun place to be. And frankly, I think that's where we are as a church. Back in 2012, we felt a great need to plan for our future and address numerous concerns here at the church. We selected a long-range planning committee. The church approved that committee and worked for over two years putting together an idea of what our church's future could look like. And that group had bold faith and they had strategic vision and we would have meetings after meetings and as I heard their discussions and as we interacted about our ministries and our facilities and where we could go in the future, I left those meetings amazed by what I heard our people say we could do in the future. Never was an idea shot down of, oh, we could never do that. It was simply, we might not be able to do that now. But we could do that in the future. We started by looking at our region. We looked at our church. We looked at demographics. We listed out our current ministries. We met with people and talked about what those ministries could do in the future. We asked how our facilities were helping or hindering us reaching that vision and and developing those ministries. And then we set to work to transform our current facilities into a different kind of church campus That would help us to truly impact the world for Jesus Christ. And we envisioned a a unified campus with a more friendly uh, 
areas of entrance that opened into a large atrium that connected all of the buildings together that allowed for gathering spaces and increased restrooms and ability for people to hang out after services and interact with one another. We envision better accessibility for people of all ages and, and all uh, types. We envision expanded space for preschool and children and adults because we want to reach people for Jesus. And we ex- expanded our, our student area and everything was to be tied into how we could, we could grow and we could do more things in the future. We envisioned plenty of parking and even how to get people from that parking to the building. I was further encouraged as we presented this master plan to the church, and the church was so enthusiastic, adopted it. We put it on the website. People were sharing it, talking about it. And so here we are now today launching Making Way. Making Way is our initiative to involve as many people as possible in fulfilling the vision God has for our church. It's an exciting time that not every church gets to be a part of. I'm grateful that we are in that sweet spot of visionary attitude. God's moving in our church. He's challenged us to help people be first. Much like Israel was wanting, was called to be a treasured possession a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, we have been challenged to be first, to be focused on God, to be involved in ministry, to be respected by our peers because of who we are, to be strengthened in faith so we know what we believe, and to be transformed by Christ every single day of our lives. That's our big vision of what we want to help people to become. And God has called us to do that. And we work hard to do that every day through our programs and through our ministries and through all the things that we do. But the hub for all of that ministry and all of that life transformation is right here at 901 Main Street. This is the center for that. And these facilities are a tool that we use to impact this region for Christ. This is a center for ministry where we gather to learn, where we gather to grow in faith, where we gather together to worship and to train people. And then from which we scatter into the community, into the region, even into the world to impact people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Six and a half years ago, we were trying to convince everyone it was a new day at First Baptist Church Pineville. Those of you who were here then remember that day. I had to say it all the time to some people who were here in the church. Say, it's a new day. You know, we're moving forward. God's got good things in store. The good news is, is now people know that. I hear people all the time in the community say, I hear good things are happening at First Baptist. And when I hear those things, I say, thank you, God, that they are. We're experiencing growth. We have been for many years. In March, just last month, we saw our largest average attendance in Sunday school in nine years. That's a praise. We finished out the first quarter of 2015 higher than any time in the last eight or nine years. We finished $150,000 more than we did the first quarter of 2008. That's incredible. We had our highest Easter Sunday school attendance last week, which we're always down on Easter Sunday, but it was up. And that was a good thing to celebrate. We're seeing growth in nearly every ministry. And we're working hard on expanding our outreach into the community. And how do we impact lives? And how do we touch different areas of the community? It's been pictured in some recent stories that I've heard. Last week, I received an email from Beth Ingalls, who teaches in our kindergarten Sunday school. Y'all know Beth and Harry. And it captured what God has done in our church in the last six and a half years. Um, Harry and Beth joined, first visited the church uh, before I was called as pastor. They joined not long after I was called as pastor. And in those days, there were far less people than we have here today. And we had, it was, it was some, some dark times, and we wondered how, what the future was going to look like. But here's what Beth wrote me last week. I've been thinking about the church picnic all week. Harry and I have talked several times. What a great way to start off our stewardship emphasis with such a memorable visual picture of what God is doing in our church. For us to grow from about as many preschoolers and children as we could count on our ten fingers. I remember those days. To the number we saw on our church lawn last Sunday is amazing. 
Harry and I have been a part of many wonderful and exciting things that have happened in the churches where we've been members. But we've never been in a church that God has quite literally restored to life. We are in awe of him and what he is doing. We look forward to all the days God gives us life and health and strength to serve him as a part of this church family. Isn't that awesome? I remember when I met with the pastor search committee and I said, in five or six years, how will we know that we've been successful? And Alan Fontenot said, if our family's still there and my kids are not the only kids in RAs and GAs. Answered prayer right here. Then on Monday... We had our first at first business leader luncheon, the third one that we've had. We had about 70 uh, leaders there. One of those business leaders emailed me a word of encouragement and said, as I surveyed the room today, as the luncheon was concluding, I couldn't help but think how you and First Baptist are creating an important opportunity in sharing Christ. What a wonderful ministry being provided for our community. Guys, it really is a great time to be first. People know The heartbeat of this church. And since it's a great time to be first, we've now reached the point where we can take that next step. We need to begin making way for the future of our church, for those generations that are coming up behind us. And if you normally received our Postscripts newsletter, you should have received this week, uh, probably Friday. If you haven't received it yet, it may hit your, your mailbox tomorrow. But you should have received this piece, which is a nice booklet that talks about all the things that are coming up. It talks about uh, an overview of our master plan of what we hope to see happen in the next Uh, 10 to 15 years, and then it goes into phase one, and it walks through every project that's going to be happening over the next two years as we go through phase one. The master plan is far beyond our reach right now, but how do you eat an elephant? (laughs) One bite at a time. And so we're working toward that master plan. This first phase makes our campus much more suitable for ministry. It does a lot of things to help us to be Uh, better stewards of what God's given us to help people get around. It is a wonderful first phase and exciting to see what God is doing. And as we do this, I feel like we're standing on the shoulders of the generations that have gone behind us. The generations that built the facilities that we enjoy, but now we get to update. Those generations had strategic vision and bold faith. And I'm glad that we do as well. In fact, turn your attention to the screens for our campaign video. The year was 1918. Our church was just seven years old, but God had brought great growth in spite of humble beginnings. That generation knew that God was working. People needed to be reached, and more needed to be done. The church bought property and built a new building to capture the vision of what could be. An 800-seat sanctuary at an extravagant cost that was 17 times their total annual contributions. It was a step of faith and vision. Over our history, our church has grown and our reach has expanded beyond our expectations. It is because we have a legacy of decisive faith and strategic vision. When I look at the early faith of our church, I'm amazed. I'm also motivated to ask God for greater things in our day. We enjoy remarkable facilities because the members before us look beyond themselves. It is now our chance to do the same. Our generation has the privilege of making way for the generations after us. Over the next 15 to 20 years, we will see our church campus transformed into a more effective center for ministry by expanding and improving our current facilities. Phase one is the important first step in fulfilling this master plan. This $3.86 million first phase consists of five major projects. Project number one is the activities building. This building is where our church family enjoys life together, but it's starting to show its age. Updates will include a refreshed interior and exterior, a new elevator, and a modernized snack bar. The second project touches various spaces of the interior of our campus. The children's ministry is vital to reaching new members and raising our kids to know and love Jesus. Our preschool and children's areas will receive their first update in almost 20 years. Our church office sees high traffic and is showing its wear. This phase will provide new finishes and move the entrance to a new location. 
We will also create an additional office in preparation for a full-time children's minister in the near future. In the Cowley Building, the restrooms will be brought up to current ADA standards and the aging elevator will be replaced. Project number three is the exterior of our campus. The exterior of a church is a testimony to the community about what God is doing within that church. We will bring our exterior to like new status by cleaning, painting, and repairing walls, walkways, drives, and other surfaces. Landscaping will be replaced, updated, and added around the campus. People who drive by our church will know something new is happening here. The largest project of Phase 1 is the renovation of our sanctuary. This building will receive all new finishes, including paint and carpet. Our crumbling pews will be replaced with new comfortable seating. The old sound room will be demolished, opening up additional seating in the balcony. New restrooms for men, women, and families will be added. We will also construct a new bride's room and usher's room, each with its own restroom. New doors will be installed to the rear of the building, allowing easier access. Further, our technology will be updated, allowing us to have quality sound, lighting, and video in our services. We believe every phase of our master plan should also look beyond 901 Main Street. As part of Phase 1, we are addressing needs at our Main Street Baptist Mission. In 2014, we purchased a building adjacent to the mission. With some minor repairs and remodeling, this building will become the location for the Main Street Mission's Mercy Ministries. The Mission Church will expand within the current building. We're being challenged by God to get ready for the future of our church. You may be wondering, what's my part? Well, first, we want you to pray. This is a God-sized task, and we need all to seek His face in favor. Second, pray about what your family will give. God will need to direct you in how to support this initiative. Third, join us in making way for our future by giving generously. I'm excited about the future that God has for us. Let's have decisive faith and strategic vision like the generations before us. Please join Rebecca and me in making way for the generations to come. It's a great time to be first. When I first saw that video, I got excited. Because I realized for 20 years of ministry, I've been watching videos like that for other churches. And now it was our church. It's our time. And God's doing great things. This afternoon, we're going to post that on all of our social media. It'll be on our website. We want you to share, tweet, like the fire out of it. Okay? Get the word out about what God's doing in our church. We want you to, to share that. And we have several things to help you as you're praying for this initiative. And you should have received in your worship guide... Um, a couple of things, and then there's one more thing we wanted you to pick up on your way out. Uh, in your worship guide, you should have something that looks like this. It's called prayer points. This is to guide you in praying for phase one of our master plan. And as you came into the church, especially if you came into the back, you may have noticed some yard signs that had numbers on them. You're going, what are all these about? Well, those numbers correspond with the numbers in this guide. And we want you to take this guide and do a prayer walk around the campus sometime this week or get your family in the car. You can do a prayer drive or senior adults. You can do a prayer drive if you don't want to get out and walk around. But we wanted there to be a tangible way where you could come to the church and pray about what God is doing. And so we encourage you to do that and make uh, prayer a priority as we go through this campaign. Also, uh, at the the whatever those things are called, on the end of the platform and then out in the table in the foyer, there are these little things which fold together to create a prayer tent or a prayer tower for you to take home, place it on your kitchen table, your kitchen bar, buy your coffee pot, whatever. And there are three sides of it for you to pray for three things. One is pray for the church in general. The second is pray for the big vision of being first. And then Pray for the capital campaign and the three things that I shared in the video. Praying about the project, praying about what your family will give, and then joining us in giving generously to this project. Then you'll also receive in the worship guide today a commitment card. Initial commitments are already coming in, and I'm excited about the excitement that I'm hearing in our church. Just this last week, I had one family say, Pastor, uh, we believe that, that we're being called to give enough to cover the, the Beyond 901 initiative for the Main Street Baptist Mission. So that's exciting. Another uh, 
a senior adult came to me and said, I've had this um, stock for decades, and I feel like it's time to do something with it, and I want to give it to the church and then add to what I'm already giving monthly to the church for the capital campaign. Those two things together are uh, about $70,000 from those two families. That's huge. That's wonderful. And there, I hope that more stories like that are being repeated. Uh, completing a commitment card is very important because it helps us to prepare and to plan so that we know what's coming in. And the steering committee is going to look at those very carefully as we continue to move forward. Uh, the commitments are going to be kept confidential. You will be bringing them forward in a coming week. There will be a box that you can put those in. The only person that will see those is our financial secretary, who's also the only person who sees what you give. So everything will be kept confidential. We will just receive the totals of what's given. We want you to take a card and pray over it and pray about what your family will give. Ask the Lord to show you. One family said they've been praying and, and thinking about it, and the wife shared a number, and the husband thought, man, I think it ought to be twice that much. They prayed a little more. They came back, and then she had an even bigger number, and they said, now we've got to really pray for God to provide for us to be able to give. Uh, Rebecca and I have spent time praying about our gift, and we had a range in mind, and God led us to the final number, and we planned out how we can do that, and then we ended up with uh, an amount. We just said, we don't know how that's going to come, but God's going to have to do it. And then looking back, I realized that our campaign gift is going to be nearly three times the largest special offering gift we've ever given in our marriage. And so it's a big challenge for us, and so I hope that you'll be challenged as well. We all need to give generously. Uh, this is a $3.86 million project. Our goal for making way is $2 million. But I believe we're going to go way over that. And I know those are, those are big numbers. But a few years ago, with a church half the size we are now, we paid off $1.1 million in old debt. We rolled right from that into putting a new roof and air conditioners on the three-story building. And basically, we got nothing for all that money, except we got to stay cool and dry. And we got to say, yay, we paid off that debt. But now, as we give, we will see things happening, and it's going to be exciting. I spent some time with one of our 98-year-old members this week. And the first thing she asked was, now, tell me about what's happening at the church other than we're spending a lot of money. Well, I, I laughed like you did, and I agreed. It is more money than I've ever led a church to deal with. But then she said, after I shared about what was happening, she said, well... We all need to do our part to take care of our church, and I'm going to do my part. We want everyone from preschoolers to 98-year-olds involved. And our age-graded ministries are working to get all ages involved. The children released some balloons this morning as a part of, of what they're doing to keep it in front of them. And I'm confident that we adults are going to bring up what's needed in our area. The day to turn in our commitment cards will be Sunday, May 3rd. Sunday, May 3rd, you'll bring the commitment cards. During the invitation time, we'll have a point where we'll all bring our commitment cards forward. And then on May 17th, we're having what's called our first step in giving. You're going to hear a lot about this in the, years, in the weeks to come. But this is a time when we bring our first offering for the campaign. And then we're going to celebrate everything on May 31st. That's the day we'll reveal what's been committed and what's been given. And we'll know where we are. It's going to be an exciting time in the life of our church. And I can't express to you enough, church, this is big. This is big for us. This is big what God's calling us to do. We stand at the beginning of some really great days for our church. I, I feel like God's doing something in our church. God's doing something in our area as we see growth coming. And we need to be prepared. I drove through a place this weekend where they knew some growth was coming. And some people prepared and some people didn't. And I don't want to be that place. I want us to be prepared to reach people for Jesus Christ. We want to commit to praying for that. So would you join me in prayer right now as we commit to making way as a church family. Lord, we come before you today knowing that this vision is, is God-sized for us. Lord, we know that, that you've been working and you're calling us forward. And God, we humbly give ourselves to you. Lord, we pray that you will provide for us in amazing ways in the months to come as we step out in faith to fulfill this vision. Lord, seven years ago, people said, First Baptist would never pay off that debt. 
First Baptist may not even survive. But, Lord, because you have a purpose for our church, you proved that wrong, and you said, no, it will be paid. And First Baptist will not only thrive, but it, it not only survive, it will thrive. Lord, thank you for what you're doing, and we look forward to where you're taking us. Help us as we pray, as we get involved. Help us to give generously and to practice generosity in our, our giving. And, Lord, bless our people so that they can bless your kingdom. We submit ourselves to you this day as we begin this process. And we ask for you to teach us and instruct us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.